Acts chapter 18. Uh, last, last week we left Paul uh, in a little place called Athens. Uh, he had been there alone. He had left Timothy and Silas up at Berea, came down to Athens. He uh, labored in the marketplace, finally got uh, asked to speak in, fr- in front of the, uh, the elite of Athens, the philosophers, and he preached an amazing message on the unknown God. And we finished chapter 17 with the fact that only a few people came to Christ in Athens. Uh, we haven't seen what we've seen in the past where it says uh, that there were Jews and there were Greeks and there were other people who came to know Jesus and they were worshiping together in a house church. Now we do know that, that eventually there is a church in Athens. In the 6th century, uh, they actually had a, uh, a church inside the Parthenon. There was a, when, they, when they did the excavation of the Parthenon, they found a Christian church had, was there in the 16th century. But, but Paul decides, you know what, I'm going to move on, and he's going to go to a little place called Corinth. Now, uh, right here is Athens, and about 55 miles away is Corinth. And Corinth is an interesting place. Uh, It is on a isthmus, right? Everybody knows what an isthmus is, right? The isthmus of Panama. A narrow neck of land that, that has two places, and it's at Corinth, it's three and a half miles wide. Whoops, sorry. So uh, it's so we'll see. Corinth is up here on the hill, and it overlooks this pathway between the Gulf of Corinth and the Saronic Gulf. Now you're like going, why are you teaching me all of this? Because I want you to understand. Uh, what was going on with these people? They were, in this three and a half miles, what they would do is they would sail through the Gulf of Corinth because it was all protected. And then they, when they got, to, uh, the, got right to that neck of land, they would bring their ships up and put them on rollers and they would roll them across that three and a half miles and drop them off into the Sardonic Gulf. It saved them a 200-mile sailing around through the, uh, through the Mediterranean Sea to get into the Aegean Sea. And the interesting thing about that is that what comes with ships? Cargo and sailors. Sailors. Lots of sailors. Well, Athens 
was named after Athena. And Athena was what? She was a goddess, Greek goddess. But they also had, in Corinth, they had another goddess by the name of Aphrodite. Now, who was Aphrodite? Goddess of love. And, at, and on top of the hill where Corinth was, was a, a big temple to the goddess of Aphrodite, and they had a thousand prostitutes that, that were temple prostitutes. Well, when, when the day was over, they would wander down the hill into town to what? Ply their trade among the sailors. Now, with that in mind, I want you to think of when Paul wrote in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, what was normally, what were some of the things he was addressing? Sexual immorality. Because you have a town that is, that is a big, big city, and you have all of these prostitutes plying their trade, and you have a lot of people who don't know much about Jesus. And Paul's like going, where, where people don't know about Jesus, I think I need to be there. So with that kind of summary to get us going, let's look at 1 Corinthians 18, or 1 Corinthians, Acts 18. Boy, I got you all on the wrong page, didn't I? Acts 18, and let's do verses 1 through 4. And after these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. So I entitled this message today, Better Together. Because Paul in Athens didn't have a whole lot of success. He had a, he had a hard time getting any traction because he was alone. At least that's my belief. He comes, and uh, immediately he does what Paul always does. He, he looks for the Jewish people, and he finds a, a couple, Aquila and Priscilla. And they're not originally from Corinth. They just landed there. Where, are they, where does it say they're from? They are from Rome, and they got kicked out. In 49 A.D., Claudius Caesar got so tired of the Jews and the Christians fighting that he booted them out. Now, the likelihood is, because we never hear of Aquila and Priscilla finding, becoming believers under Paul, the likelihood is, is they were already believers in Rome. And they get kicked out and, and they come to Corinth, and they're, okay, we're tent makers. We can make tents. We can sell them. We're, they're, lev, they're leather workers. Tent makers could do all kinds of things, like mend sails. 
right? And I want you to think about these ships. They aren't like our big ships of today where you have nice accommodations for everybody underneath. What did they do? They pitched tents up on the deck to, to sleep in, to cover themselves in the rain. So an ideal place, and Paul's like, oh, hey, wow, how are you guys? I, I'm Paul. You're, he looks at their hands, right? You ever, you ever met somebody who works with their hands every day, right? They're calloused. You know, he looks at their hands, and they're, they're stained with the dyes that they would have used. I recognize those hands. You guys are tent makers, aren't you? And so Paul says, hey, I'm new in town. I'm the itinerant preacher. How about, I need a place to stay. And so Aquila and Priscilla open not only their home to Paul, but they open their business. Now that's, that's asking a lot, isn't it? Because they went from half shares now to, to two-thirds of a share, right? We're going to let you have a third of the business. Come help us. We will, we will all sow tents together. Now, you're, you're like, well, why would they do that? Because God opened their heart. And they said, wow, we've never met a real live tent maker rabbi. We're Jewish. But we're also believers. We, not only have we not uh, met a real tent maker rabbi, but one who is also a believer and a preacher. Wow, what an opportunity we have. And so, Paul, can you, can you just imagine they're sitting out there and they're sewing, hand sewing these tents together. Aquila says, hey, Paul. I heard you in the synagogue on Sunday talking about justification by faith. Can you tell me a little more about that? And so they spend the afternoon talking about justification by faith. What was it? You were talking about saved by grace alone and, and not by, by completing the law? Oh yeah, let me tell you about that. As he spouts off all of Romans they had the opportunity to have the first, first line of Paul's teaching day after day. And Paul, he he's still doesn't have, there's no church yet. They, there's no way to support himself, so he's, he's making that by tent making. And then on the Sabbath, he heads down to the, to the uh, synagogue to preach. And Aquila and Priscilla go with them, and they're like, and then it's Monday morning, they're back at their sewing. <laughs> hey, Paul, what did you mean about this? And, and Paul, where we get the majority of our, our theology from, Paul sits, and he, as he sews, he is just drenching them with the word of God in the first person. They don't even have to read the letters yet because he hasn't written a lot, of, a lot of the letters yet. And so they're getting that first person. They've opened up their hearts, opened up their, their business for Paul. You know, sometimes I wonder how much we miss out because we're like, oh, you know, if I invite somebody over, uh, you know, I've got to clean the house, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and, and yet, 
what, what do you miss out on? You miss out on the conversation. The deep conversations. Uh, that's one of the reasons we love to do small groups because I can stand up and preach to you on Sunday morning and give you theology, but it's in, it's in the small groups where you're able to sit down and say, yeah, but this is where I live. I live, you know, maybe, maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's questions you have. And that's where you can work those out in those small groups. Aquila and Priscilla were able to hear firsthand what God was doing because they opened their home to Paul. So let's go on to 5 through 8 and see who else shows up. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own hands. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And then he left there and went to the house of the man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. You see, Silas and Timothy showed up, and they supported Paul so that he could share full time. Paul goes from having to make tents all day long to to being able to be out there preaching day after day after day. Now, what did Paul and uh, Silas and Timothy do? First of all, they brought an offering from the churches of Thessalonica. Thessalonica heard that Paul was down there preaching and that he was having to work full time And he said, we want to help. Take this to Paul. I I believe also that Silas and Timothy were working to help support Paul so he could preach. Paul was the main attraction. And they wanted to support that. In 2 Corinthians 8, we read this. Now, brethren... We wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches in Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us that with much urging for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. You see, the the folks up in Macedonia said, we want to be part of what you're doing. Why do we have a, a, a missions program like we do here where we give we give 12% of our of our uh, annual budget goes to missions. Why? Because they need the help. 
We're sitting here in absolute luxury, to be honest with you. You go to many of the countries that we support. You go to Ecuador. You go to Haiti. And you see how they live. And we sit here in our three-bedroom, two-bath homes when we can go out to eat anytime we want, where we, can, we, we have all that we need. And we say, why? so why do we support them? Because we want to be part of what they're doing. You see, the Macedonians gave so Paul could preach to the Corinthians. Not for their sake. They didn't want Paul to come back. They wanted the Corinthians to hear. I, it was, I got to watch a video. Uh, I should have I brought it so we could play it this morning. But uh, if you go to the uh, Casa de Fe website, we just got their new bus, 12-passenger van for them to haul the kids for the, just in time for the first day of school. And it was so cool to watch them as they got off the bus with these big smiles on their face that they were able to go to school. With a, if you had been, if you'd seen it before, they had a they had a seven passenger van that they would just stack kids in. You know, there would be they they'd load a seat up and then they'd put a kid in each one's lap and load the next one up and and that's how they got them to school. Now they have this beautiful. 12 passenger van where they can collapse the wheelchairs and and take these kids to school why do we give we give not for what it does for us but because we can be part of what god is doing there well paul and uh, timothy and silas also did some other things for paul you see uh, the title of this is what better together you know, if you've ever seen, if you've ever been in, a, in, in a, a, a little church where the pastor is the only employee and he's also the janitor and the, the secretary and the person who takes care of, of visitation and, and everything else, you get tired. You see, Paul, his job was to preach. And I, and I, I believe because Paul says that they that uh, three times he asked for the thorn of the flesh to be taken away from him. Uh, so many times he had been beaten, he had been shipwrecked, so many things had happened to Paul. I think he physically had a hard time doing some of the, some of the things that he needed to do. And one of those was baptism. Because in 1 Corinthians 1, 14, it says, And I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus, and Gaius. Now we just saw who was Crispus. Crispus was the was the leader in the synagogue that got saved. He says, "I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say that they were baptized in my name." Because you know what the Corinthians were doing? Oh, I was baptized by Apollos. I was baptized by Paul. Look at me. I'm, I'm and Paul says, no, it's not about me. It's about what God did. So who was doing all the baptizing when people got saved? It said Christmas and his household got saved. Oh, Paul said, I'll do that one. But what about all the other people that were getting saved? Timothy and Silas would have been the natural ones to come along and say, hey, we'll baptize you. Paul has a hard time with it. It, they're better together. They're working so that Paul can preach. 
They're helping him with the services. They were being part of what Paul needed at that very moment. Well, let's go on and see what else happens. Verses 9 through 11. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. No man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in the city. And he settled there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. It's easy to get discouraged when you think you're alone. Paul had just come through a time when when he had been chased out of city after city after city. He finally gets down there. He's had to be a tent maker for a while. Paul and Silas came down. But Paul was tired. He got discouraged. He, He sometimes... In the midst of even the best things, people get discouraged. We have a great example in the Old Testament in 1 Kings. A guy by the name of Elijah. Mighty, mighty prophet of God. Raised the dead. Stopped the rain. And after, after he had stopped the rain for three and a half years, God says, it's time for the rain to come back, and and he went up to Mount Carmel, and you know the story of the prophets of Baal and them jumping up and down, and and finally Elijah stands and he calls on God, and and out of the the sky comes uh, God's fire to consume not only the, the offering, but also the altar and everything else. And then he prayed. And he, he tells his servant, go and look. And he says, oh, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And he turns to, turn to Ahab and he says, or Ahaz and says, go as fast as you can because the rain's coming. In the very next scene, you see Jezebel, Jezebel puts a hit out, puts a contract out on Elijah, and Elijah runs to the desert, and he says, God, just take me. I'm all alone. And and, in 1 Kings 19, 14, God is talking to Elijah. And then he said, Elijah says, and then he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altar, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He was at the bottom of the bottom. He said, just take me. Just take my life. I'm tired. They're after me. They're singing. You know what God's response was? 
I have saved 7,000 that you don't know about to, to help you. 7,000 I have protected that are there for you. God says, you're not alone. 7,000 faithful remained. We can get discouraged. We can get, you can get discouraged in the battle of cancer. It's long, it's hard. Chemotherapy. It's easy to get discouraged. You can get discouraged in the recovery for a heart surgery. Craig Miller's gonna be coming back here hopefully soon, and it's gonna be hard. You know, it always amazes me how they can go in there and just split you wide open and root around in there and put new things in, and, and then that the next day they want you to get up and walk around. But recovery is hard. It's hard work, and it's harder by yourself. That's where doing, having meals available to help people when they're, when they're recovering coming alongside of them, knowing that somebody is there to pray for you. Maybe you just need to call up and say, hey, it's been a terrible day at this house. I just needed to complain. Because <laughs> you really don't want to complain to the person who's recovering. And it's okay to have somebody that you can call up and just say, I need to complain for a little bit. Or call somebody up and say, you know what? I need to go take a shower and I need somebody to sit with my loved one while I take a shower. We, when we had vacation Bible school, one of the, I, I asked every parent to drop their kid off. I said, what are you going to do for the next two hours? Oh, we're going to Costco. We're going, we're going to have dinner together without four kids saying, Mama, You know, that's the part. It's better together. You see, that discouragement may come, but when we, can, when we can put it on somebody else and say, gee whiz, that's great that somebody can come alongside of you. See, that's what the church is all about. It's not just about coming on Sunday morning and everybody saying, I'm fine. It's coming, it's, it's coming on Monday and saying, Hey, can I do your grocery shopping for you? Or can I watch, watch your kids while you go do the grocery shopping? You know, while you, you know, that's what a church is all about. It's coming alongside of each other so we don't get discouraged. See, Paul, Paul was, notice it says, do not be afraid any longer. He was already having fear. He was already having that. He says, it, the, the next line says, says, but go on speaking. Don't be silent. And Paul, Paul needed to hear those words. Keep preaching. Keep preaching. That's your job. Keep preaching. Because every place else Paul had been, what happened to him? He got beaten. He got stoned. He got thrown in prison. Do you think he might think, you know what? <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. 
And God says, no, it's not coming, not this time. Not this time. He says, I've got other people in this city that you don't even know about yet. And they're here to come and walk alongside of you. Well, in, in chapter 18, verses 12 through 17, he says, but Galileo, the, the proconsul from Acacia, the, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. What do you think Paul's thinking? Here it comes again, right? He's thinking it's the same thing. Saying, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, <laughs> Paul's ready. Hey, I'm going to defend myself. Uh, I'm going to, you know. But when he was about ready to open his mouth, Galileo from said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime or Jew, oh Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if it, if it, but if there are questions about words and names of your own law, look after yourself. I am unwilling to be a judge to these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat, and they took a hold of Sosthenes, the, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. You see, sometimes we, we want to say, okay, I need to defend myself again. I need to claim I'm a Roman. You can't do anything because I'm a Roman. And God says, have a seat. Have a seat. I've got you covered. Don't put God in a box. Don't put God in a box. There are times when God will, will do things that you're like going, wow. I doubt that Paul had any clue that Galileo didn't like the Jews and wasn't going to put up with their nonsense. But that's who God used. In Proverbs 21.1 it says, The king's heart is like the channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. I pray, that, I pray this prayer a lot, folks. Because we have, we have people in, in office today that we need to pray this over. That God change their hearts. Change their hearts. Bring them somebody to counsel them that this doesn't happen. Stop whatever's going on. And God, God can do that. He did it in this case. Well, let's finish out our 18 to 22. And we're going to send Paul on his way after a year and a half. And that, once again, isn't that something? A year and a half and we covered four verses. <laughs> Paul was a busy man. He preached for a year and a half in Corinth and then he gets ready to leave. And Paul, remaining many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Censoria he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. And now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return again if God wills. He set sails from Ephesus, and when he landed in Caesarea, 
he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. The second missionary tour is over. Paul, being in Corinth, he, he gets ready for his vow. He sails across to Ephesus and then down to Caesarea, stops at the church at Jerusalem and goes up to Antioch to give him a report of his missionary journey. But I want you to notice something that he did. Who did he leave in Corinth? Timothy and Silas. He didn't take them with him. He says, hey, guys, I need you to stay here and strengthen this church. And they're going to need a lot. <laughs> because when you read 1 and 2 Corinthians, they had some problems. But he leaves Timothy and Silas to do the work there. And he takes with him who? Aquila and Priscilla. And he says, you guys come with me because i got another job for you. We're going to stop at Ephesus on our way. And they need you. And so he drops Aquila and Priscilla there to do the work of the ministry. In Ephesians, we read that the, that the job of the, the five, the five uh, gifts of ministry is to prepare the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what my job is. That's what the job of the elders here is to prepare you so that, so that when there comes a time that we need to say, hey, we need some help over here. Do you realize that God may be preparing some of you to go to Ecuador, to stay, to be house parents in an orphanage in Ecuador? Wouldn't that be cool? Then we can say, hey, we're going to go down and visit so-and-so. You know? God may be preparing some of you to go someplace else to serve God because you've learned what you needed here. The church is not meant for everybody to stay there forever. The church is meant for us to prepare together and then go out. And some of us will be Timothy's and Silas's, which will be the ones that fund that. Our, our mission's uh, motto is, help me here, pray, give, go. You see, all of us can pray. And most of us can give. And some of us can go. And that's what the church is all about. We are better together. None of us can do it on our own. Not myself, not the elders. We are better together when we are prepared. And then God says, hey, guess what? I'm going to send you on a journey of your own. Hallelujah. That's the way God started the church. Not just by Paul running around and preaching. Paul had help all along the way. We are better together. Well, we're going to come to communion. And as we do, I want you to remember what Jesus did. When Jesus got ready to start his ministry, 
He didn't just start running around and, and preaching here and there and preaching there. What did he do? He went down to the seashore and he says, Oh, hey, Andrew, you got a brother, right? By the name of, of Peter, right? Oh, John, you've got a brother by the name of James. You know, God began, he called 12. And out of that 12 that he prepared... He called three of them to be his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He invested in all of these men because Jesus knew you don't do ministry by yourself. You have to have others alongside of you. And so that night, that night that he was preparing to go to the cross, he told him probably one of the hardest things that those apostles would ever hear. I'm leaving. Most of us have, have had those moments of sad farewells. I'm leaving, but I'm going to give you a symbol. A symbol to remember me by. And then he took the bread at the Passover, like he did year after year. But this time he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, they always broke the bread in remembrance of the Passover from Egypt. He says, no longer, because I am going to give you a way out of, of sin I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice my life so that you can have eternal life in heaven with me forever. But I've got to go away for a little while. Just a little while. So when you break the bread, remember Jesus. Remember me. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the blood for the forgiveness of sin. Drink it in remembrance of me. You see, he says, I, I want you to remember you're never alone. You will never, ever, ever walk alone in this world because I will be with you, in you, and in all of these gentlemen who are around you. I will be in them also. You will never walk alone. 